0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message.
1: Uh, I want us to go, if you will, to Acts chapter 12, and uh, we're going to begin reading verse 20 and go right down into Acts chapter 13 to The end of verse 3. All right, and it's a well known scripture, really, but uh, let me read it again. Uh, now, Herod was uh, very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a the delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a god and not a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Wow, that's a way to go, I suppose, isn't it? Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned taking John Mark with them. Now, verse 1 of chapter 13. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manion, the childhood companion of King Herod and Tippus, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So, after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. If I I was going to give um, a title to what I I wanted to share, I would call it Antioch Moments. Um, And the whole of this scripture is interesting chapter 12 if you read the whole of chapter 12 you'll find that um, it's telling us what happened Um, this new church that was now nicknamed Christians um, firstly in Jerusalem uh, it is that this uh, prominent leader of the new church uh, James had become a martyr and uh, for the faith Herod Agrippa had seen that persecuting Christians absolutely pleased the Jewish people, and so he had James martyred and Peter imprisoned. You know the story that Peter was miraculously set free from prison, and um, this narcissistic uh, leader uh, that was uh, called Herod, this worship me kind of guy is cut down to size in a very humbling way um, by the Lord. Um, do I need you to be reminded that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble? And, um, and he made that very plain by what he did to that guy. Uh, and so this proud leader is made small and then look what happens, uh, verse 24 again. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. How many know that the church always grows in times of persecution? Um, the devil thinks it's his worst for us. It's the best in the sense of uh, the church of Jesus Christ gro- growing. And uh, and so the church is growing like crazy in the end of the chapter, we are told that Barnabas and Saul—we uh, would know him now, of course, more as Paul—they um, were in Jerusalem on a mission, and um, they had been delivering a monetary gift to the persecuted church in Jerusalem. And now they're setting off home to their uh, home church, uh, this church in Antioch, and um, not realising that God was about to change the world, and and that um, God was up to something. And uh, in in a stark difference, we are shown in the scripture from this narcissistic leadership style of King Herod. Uh, We are not told of one, but of a group of people that were leaders in the church at Antioch. Verse 1, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch in Syria, Barnabas Simeon, uh, as Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manion the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now here it says there were prophets and teachers. Here's a great lesson that you may want to um, take and maybe be revived in your thinking about. Wherever you have a prophet, you need some teachers To make sure he's keeping to the biblical ways and keeping to the biblical principles and keeps in order uh, the ways of Scripture. Uh, Make sure that there are teachers around that make sure any prophet is under the authority of Scripture and, and uh, is, is moving in that way. So we see that whereas God will have a lead elder, I call uh, a pastor or a lead elder uh, the senior amongst equals, um, he will surround that man or woman. Uh, how many are so thrilled? Uh, there's more women here tonight than men, and God is putting his hand on women like never before, uh, and um, we, give, we give God praise for that. Um, uh, let me give you a little note here, a great book to get, written by a friend of mine in the UK. Um, it's called Gender Revolution, all right? Gender Revolution, and he deals with the whole biblical aspect of women in ministry, and, um, and you ladies, you need to read it, all right? Um, some guys don't like it, but the ladies love it. I love it too. But, um, but the fact is, it's a great book for you to get a hold of and, and see. So um, it is that whereas you may have a senior amongst equals, there will always be in God's plan, I believe, a team that's around him or her that will be there to love and support and to pray with and to seek the face of God with. And, um, and wise leaders, I find, will listen to God first of all, but they'll also listen to other leaders that are around them. And also, this may uh, you know be shocking, but they also listen to the people that they are hoping are following them. Uh, I have learned more from the the people of God in my time uh, than I've learned from anywhere else, I think. You know, many years ago, I used to go to Tommy Barnett's conference in Phoenix, and a great, great conference. One of the amazing things that I I learned from Tommy Barnett was that after every service, now I think back then there was like 11,000 people going to his church or something like that, But after church, he would always be at one of the doors with a line of people that are leaving. And he would shake their hands and greet them and greet their kids. And and, uh, I talked to him about it. And uh, he said, one of the greatest lessons I've learned in leadership, he said, is that a shepherd needs to touch the sheep. And he said, I use that moment as people are leaving to touch them and I learn things about them. I learn about their families. He said, I may not be talking to the whole of the 11,000, but I'm touching enough to pick up the heartbeat of what is happening in the church. And I've learned so many lessons from that. I started doing that. Uh, and I did it right up until my retirement. Now Michael, uh, who has taken over, uh, he's doing it. And, um, and a- again, he says exactly the same. But the thing is this, that, um, uh, that a church that is being led, uh, biblically, will be a messy church. Okay. Uh, and I- I'll give you the reason for saying that. Um, see... Uh, we're all like the the people in the scriptures here, the leaders in the scriptures. Uh, we are not leaders that are looking to make wise decisions, believe it or not. We are leaders that are looking to make godly decisions. In other words, we want to know that God is saying, this is the way uh, go in it. And and, um, and that can be messy, to be honest, that can be messy. Uh, for my life, God has told me, asked me to do a lot of messy things, uh, stuff that I would never have done if he hadn't called me and told me this is where I want you to go. And he usually put people around me that agreed with him. And when I had my doubts, he put people around me that agreed with him. And I said, well, if they're hearing it, I'm going for it. And, uh, and, and we go forward. You see, the fact is, These leaders in this scripture, they knew that God was about to do something big, something new. And they were right. He was about to change the world. You know, every individual, every church, in fact, seeking to be led by God will have these, what I call, Antioch moments. Um, My life has been marked by times... Uh, I could keep you here all night. Uh, When I was putting this together, I thought of at least 11 Antioch moments that I've been through um, in my life. I believe every individual will have five or six, seven perhaps. Uh, There are others, uh, you know, because God had a lot of trouble with me. He had to give me a lot more. But uh, the fact is that there are are moments... When you know that God is speaking to you. Um, and, you know, I hate to use these words, but, you know, they're Pentecostal, spirit-filled words, I suppose you hear it. I know that I know that I know that I know. Moments when you know that God has spoken to you. Um, I, I, for instance, I was, I was called of God um, when I was 15 years of age. And I sat in a, a huge tent with 5,000 people. And um, the guy who was speaking um, was a guy named Eddie Durham. Uh, he was well-known in the UK. And um, he suddenly pulled out this motorcycle glove um, that um, he put on his hand. And he said, um, you know, in years ago... Um, In our history, now this wouldn't be American history. You don't go back far enough for this, all right? But when the knights of the round table and when knights were bold and kings, they ruled, um, he said the gauntlet was very important. They used to wear it to safeguard them when they were going into battle with their shields and everything else. But he said not only that, what, what would happen is that if a guy wanted to challenge another guy to a fight, he would take off his gauntlet and throw it down in front of him and say, I challenge you. Now, the guy had two choices. He could walk away and be called a coward, or he could pick up the gauntlet and say, I'll, I'll fight. And the fight would be to the death. And, um, and so he, he started talking about the great need of lost souls going to a lost eternity, did Erie Durham. And, and he um, uh, painted this picture of the need of workers and people who would not only sign up to be Christians, but would, if need be, lay down their life. And he got to the end of his sermon and he took off this gauntlet, and he said, I'm throwing this down. Uh, he says, I'm throwing it down to young men and women that are in this place tonight uh, to come. And if you can't pick it up, come and kneel at the altar at least. Well, I, it was as if an electric current went through my seat. I was up on my feet. Now, you've got to know, uh, you may not believe this, but I'm quite introverted, really. And um, and for me to get up in the 5,000, it was crazy. But I spr- Printed down to the front, and I grabbed that gauntlet, and I said, for the rest of my life, I'll serve you, Jesus. Wherever you lead me, wherever you want me to go, uh, I I will go. You know, interestingly, when I was at 40 years of being uh, in the ministry... Chris Spicer, who was a teaching pastor that was with us here for five years or so, uh, he made a search without me knowing in the UK, and he got hold of that gauntlet. And on my fortieth anniversary, they presented me with the gauntlet that I picked up when I was fifteen years of age. I've got it. I was going to bring it tonight, and I'm an old man, and my memory went, and I forgot to bring it. But um, that was. An Antioch moment for me. It changed my life. Um, it, it, I, I went back home and I remember sitting by the coal fire. We had coal fires back then. And, uh, and I was talking to my mother and I was 15. And I said, I've got to go, mom. I've got to go and serve Jesus. And, uh, and she said, John, you're 15 years of age. I said, I know, but I've got to go. I said, I know that God has called me and, uh, and, 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 The assemblies of God back then, they had a program called the Herald Program. They didn't actually call it the Herald Program. In the UK, they called it the Herald Scheme. Now, scheme means something different back then, uh, back there, than it does here. It means a program, all right? So, uh, and uh, you could sign up to give a year of your life to go anywhere that the Assemblies of God would direct you to help a pastor, serve in a youth group, and you wouldn't get no pay. All you'd be guaranteed was a roof over your head and food in your belly, and um, I decided I'm signing up for that. And so as a 15-year-old, uh, I signed up for that. I waited and waited and waited for an answer to come to say you had to go for an interview to London, which was the big city, you know. And um, uh, I, I was waiting and waiting, and nothing happened. And then finally, when I was 17, I got a letter, invited me to an interview. And um, my dad, who was my pastor... He said, um, John may be wondering why it's taken so long for him to get this letter. He said, well, I didn't think he was ready to go. And I wrote to them and I said, this brother could do with another 18 months or so in his own church. Don't get in touch with him. And so he knew it all the time, but never told me. Uh, But it was, he threw me into everything I started preaching around different churches and all sorts of things that he got me involved in. And again, I left on September the 8th, uh, 1968, to go and serve Jesus full time uh, as this whole missions. They called it the whole missions herald. And I, I did that for a couple of years. And, and then... Something happened. I got to the last place where I was serving. It was a place called Hinckley in Leicestershire. Uh, You know, we have uh, you know areas we call by shires. All right, be like states, but they're not as big as the states. All right. Uh, Did you know the the UK is only slightly bigger than Illinois? Only slight, and we're surrounded by water, so it's an island. And, um, and, and, but I, I, I ended up in this area called Leicestershire in Hinckley. And um, I had another Antioch moment that happened there that wasn't nice. I'll tell you what happened. I, I was serving there, you know, and um, this church was being looked after by another pastor from a city a few miles away, about 15 miles away, actually. And he was overseeing the church. I was helping him a couple of days a week in his church. And then I'd go to Hinkley and serve the church there. Well, while I was there, a couple of the leaders of that church said, John, you need to be the pastor of this church. You need to be our first pastor. I said, but you've got a pastor. Ken's your pastor. They said, no, but I, I, I think we think that you ought to be the pastor. I, listen, I was 20 years of age. And, um, and, and suddenly, my ego kicked in, and I started to agree with them. I, I thought, well, that's a good idea then. You know what I mean? And, um, and I remember the night when Ken came to a meeting that they'd called, and they said, We've, we feel, Ken, that John ought to take on and be the pastor. And, and um, I'd never talked to him about it. Uh, it was the first he was hearing about it. And immediately, I could see the hurt in this guy's eyes, that I had let this go on and, and never talked to him about it. Well, long story short, I did become the pastor. Um, but immediately, I felt the presence of God lift off me, if I can put it that way. Uh, when he walked out the room, I knew that something left me. And um, you're on your own, King. Do you know what I mean? And I, I knew that I was out of the will of God. And, and um, I stayed there two years, just two years, two and a half years. And then I got called to a church um, where, interestingly, we remodeled a theater, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and while there, when they talked about getting someone to come and speak, uh, you know, for the opening, my mind went to Ken, Ken Rowland's. And, and I hadn't talked with him since I'd left. And um, I called him up and I said, Ken, I know I haven't talked to you for a long time, but would you be willing to come and speak for us? And, um, and he said, I'd love to. And um, I said, well, come and have a little bit of food with us before you go, we go to the service. And, and he came to my house And as he came through the door, I fell on my knees and grabbed his ankles, crying my eyes out, saying, Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I said, I am so sorry. And he lifted me. He was a huge guy. He lifted me up and he said, John, I forgive you the night that it happened. He said, I can't afford to carry unforgiveness. And he said, I forgive you that night. He said, and I've loved and watched you ever since and prayed for you every day. And, and of course I have forgiven you. And I just hugged him and we were the best of friends till he passed about five years ago. And, um, but it was an Antioch moment for me to see that there is a shady side of me that is an ego that if it's left to get out of control, uh, then I'm, I can get into a lot of trouble and it was an important time. So, anyway, I've got to go on here, because I'm, I'm going to be here all night otherwise. Well, we were at Bromsgrove for a number of years, and and um, we had our son, Andrew, at the Dream Center. He runs the Dream Center right now, of course. And um, Andrew was about three or four. We had another baby that was on the way, and um, uh, it... it, it it happened that that baby died. The, the circumstances I haven't got time to go into, but it had, we'd gone nine months into pregnancy, but the baby died. I wasn't with Letty when it happened. I was out visiting, of all things, different people, and uh, she'd only gone to the hospital to have a checkup. Um, but I, I'll never forget that moment when I, I went to the hospital and they brought this baby in in a little casket and... Uh, Uh, There was my baby second born son. And um, that basically ended us pastoring at this church. A number of things happened, but um, I took a job. I took a job as a mail delivery man because I believed that I've got to look after my family. And so I, I took this job as a mail delivery man. I hadn't worked long, and they said, we want to promote you to a van driver delivering parcels. Well, that was better than riding the bicycle. Well, you know, that's the way I was doing it on the bicycle. I was fit, fitter than I'd ever been in my life. But uh, the only thing was I didn't know how to drive. And they said, oh, that's no worry. We'll teach you to drive. All right, so they had their own instructors, and for eight hours a day, for two weeks, I was taken out every day, and they would dri- I would be driving. And, um, and then after the two weeks, they gave me my driving test. And it was in the second largest city in the nation, Birmingham, and um, I passed the test. Well, I have to tell you this, to this day, Letty doesn't believe that I... Passed the test. <laughs> she thinks I'm a terrible driver, and you never had proper instruction, and all this type of stuff. <laughs> but, but um, the, it was a godsend, really, because um, what I did, I moved Letty, uh, who was going through terrible um, postpartum depression because of that birth and loss of the baby. We moved back to a home area uh, and started to attend a home church where she was brought up, and uh, well, she wasn't brought up, where she got saved. And, um, and uh, I started delivering mail in, in Coventry. Well, I got to be asked to be the youth leader, uh, And so I started doing that. That grew like crazy. And, um, and I ended up as the full-time youth pastor there, um, and I was there for a year or so. And then I got this call from the pastor that I was serving under, and he said, there's a church in a place called Nuneaton, about 180,000 people, and they haven't got a pastor. And I want you to go every Wednesday night and just take their Bible study. And, and so I started going, and, I, and the first night actually when I got there, it was a run-down shop premises, and they met upstairs. And whenever it rained, they had about 40 buckets, it seemed, everywhere, catching the rain coming through the roof. And, but when I walked through the door, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. It was an Antioch moment and said, I'm going to make you the pastor here. And um, I served them on a Wednesday night for about six months. And after six months, um, I I found the movements of God. I talked with my pastor. I'd learned the lesson from before. And I said, I believe God wants me to go and take on this church in Nuneaton. Um, Long story short, God really put his hand on the whole thing. By now, I was not delivering mail, by the way. When I went over to take that church on, they couldn't afford to keep me. And so I took a job selling insurance. I was the best in the nation, they said. And I was making a lot of money. Um, But also, I was pastoring this church. and, And suddenly, this church was growing like crazy and went from about six people to about 80 people, which was massive at that time. And the elders there, the two guys that I had serving with me, they said, will you um, now go full time? I said, you can't match what they're giving me at the insurance. They said, oh, if it's about matching, you better get out of the way and we'll bring another pastor in who will take what we can afford. And I said, you're not doing that. I'll take what you (laughs) will give me. And I I, I took on the job and and took that um, church on. And uh, long story short, it grew and grew and became one of the biggest uh, assembly of God churches uh, in the UK. And um, then I came to another Antioch moment. And I need to tell you about this. This Antioch moment came again. See, my biggest problem, and you may want to take this on board. My biggest problem in leadership, if I can call it leadership... My biggest problem in ministry has not been the people, it's not been churches, it's been John King. I, I am my own biggest problem, uh, and, and I have this ego thing that will try and resurrect, and um, I, I got this phone call, and it was the Assemblies of God again. They said, John, we'd like you to consider allowing your name to go forward to be on the National Youth Council of Assemblies of God in the UK. And uh, I thought, wow, recognition. And I came off the phone and I said to Larry, I said, they, they want me to go on the National Youth Council. She said, now be careful. That's what she said, be careful. But she'd never stopped me. She's never said no to anything that I've said that I felt the Lord was saying. It came to the vote, and when the vote was taken, I got the most votes. And they announced, John King, uh, you have the most votes. You have voted in to be on the National Youth Council. In that moment, I heard Holy Spirit say, you're on your own in this, King. And um, I, knew, I knew I should have got up then and gone and and uh, asked them to take my name off, and I, I didn't feel it was right, but I didn't. And uh, that ended up with me being on the youth council for six months. Uh, and I was running from one end of the country to the other. My church was suffering. Uh, I was on numbers of committees besides that, and, and um, I could feel my health going. My family was suffering. And uh, one day I got home, and... Um, The phone went and i I just come into the house from a meeting and I picked it up and it was the secretary of the National Youth Council and uh, he said, John, we're putting the uh, agenda together for the next meeting. We're thinking of this date. Can we take it that you'll be there? And I I found myself saying, no, I won't be there and I won't ever be there again. Will you please tell the brothers I'm resigning uh, right now? and uh, I put the phone down. Uh, Andrew, my my son, was standing there. I kicked a bookcase to pieces. I ran into the kitchen, and I crouched in a corner and said, stop the world. I want to get off. And uh, that led me into six months of um, a total breakdown. I was out of the church for six months, and uh, everything was put aside, and um, and, and I, I was in, in the place, uh, where I just was totally, uh, in tears every day, uh, seeing very few people, and those who came, all I could do was cry, and the best people, there's another lesson, the best people who ever came to visit me were the people who didn't say anything, but they did cry with me, and, um. And so uh, I, was, I was in bed one morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I, I was crying and I was saying to God, I, I only ever wanted to serve you. I only ever wanted to give you everything. When I picked that gauntlet up, I meant it. I, I want to serve you with the rest of my days. And, and uh, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I must be your only sustenance. And your only direction giver. The weekend after, there was a guy coming to the church where Letty was brought up uh, to preach. His name was David Pawson, one of the great teachers uh, and a great friend of mine. And um, when I went to hear him speak, he was there. I thought, I've got to go and hear David speak. So anyway, when I got to the door... He said, uh, "John, John, how are you? I haven't seen you for such a long time." I said, "Oh, I've been, I've been really sick, David." I, I said, "I've, um, uh, I've, I've had a breakdown. Uh, really, I took too much on, and it, I just had a breakdown." And he said, "Oh, you sinned." I said, "No, David, I, I didn't sin." I I had a breakdown and uh, I I just overworked and took too much on. And he said, yeah, you sinned. I said, David, I didn't sin. (laughs) And he put his arm around me and he said, you know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, if you took on more than you could carry... Uh, then you were outside the will of God. You need to repent now. He said, come in the church with me. We'll kneel at the altar before the service starts. You can repent and you'll begin to feel a lot better. And like a little lamb, I followed him into the church and knelt down and asked the Lord to forgive me. And, um, and uh, that was the beginning of me getting really getting well. And uh, God's hand uh, being on us again. Um, However, it was that God began to stir my heart. The church um, uh, was going so well. Um, I hope this is good leadership stuff. (laughs) But um, I I, I got to... um, One day, I was parked at some parking lights, stoplights, and... um, I was looking over the city and thanking God for what he had done. I'd led every one of the elders to the Lord personally, and the church was thriving. We were now serving the poor and the broken. We were employing 160 people every day to go out and to do work for the elderly and the poor in our area. There was a government program where they were financing this thing, and we had 160 people come in every day to work and to go out from our church. And uh, God has always, this is another thing, I've always found that if I, God spoke to me and he says, if you bless the poor, I'll send you the rich. And he has always honored that. And, and so I, um, I was looking out and, and I said, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And it was an Antioch moment. God spoke to me and he says, I want you to resign. And I want you to put your life in my hands. And I, I said, Where are we going? He, and God says, Leave that with me, just resign. Uh, I went home and told Letty, she thought I was having a nervous breakdown again. And, uh, uh, and I said, No, no, I'm not having a breakdown. I think God's stirring, there's something going to happen. And, uh, and, and, and so I resigned the church. Uh, the church were in great uh, sorrow, I felt. I, well, it was either sorrow or gladness <laughs> that I was going, but they were weeping, and, uh, and, and it was a total shock for the church at that point. Well, anyway, I resigned. And the elder said to me, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I, I don't know where God's leading me. I don't know what's going to happen. They were very kind, and they said, well, until you know where you're going, we're going to keep on paying you wage, uh, which was really, uh, you know, they didn't know how long that was going to be. But anyway, um, again, a long story short, uh, one night we'd been out. Uh, where have we been? We'd been for a meal, but we'd also been to a show, actually. Oh, it was the Buddy Holly story. Uh, I I, I love that music. So um, we'd gone to this show. Someone had paid for us. We wouldn't have gone if they hadn't been paid for. But we we went and and come over. My mother-in-law, who had been looking after the kids while we were out, she said, You've had a phone call from America. I said, America. I don't know anyone in America. I've only been here once. I've been here for a conference in Portland, Oregon. Dropped down to Sacramento and preached in Sacramento, and then came back home. I was here for about ten days. And um, I said, I don't know any. Well, he's calling you back. So I get this phone call, and it was a guy. He says to me, "You probably don't remember me, but I preached in your church about six months ago." And uh, my name is Bob Malone. And I remembered he had been a visiting preacher, American preachers coming through. They're always looking for somewhere to preach. My friend had says, please take Bob. I've got nowhere else to put him. And I said, well, I I really, I, I haven't got room for him. All right, I'll take him. So he came and he preached, and he preached really well, to be honest. And uh, he said, you probably don't remember I preached in your church. I said, Bob, I do remember you preached so well and it was great meeting you. He said, well, I've been looking after a church in Washington, Illinois, and, um, and they've been without a pastor for 10 months. And he said, I don't know why, but I've been woke up two nights in a row with your name on my mind. I know you're very settled there, but how settled are you? And I said, well, actually, I resigned uh, just about three weeks back, and I'm just waiting on God, and just went quiet. And um, he said, well, will you be willing to come to uh, meet with our elders? And I said, well, tell me who you are. He said, well, we are an Assemblies of God church, and... Uh, and." Um, uh, we're about three hundred strong, and uh, he said, <laughs> "What he didn't tell me was they were three hundred strong with three hundred thousand worth of debt, uh, you know." But, but uh, the thing, the thing was, he said, "Will you come over? We'll cover your expenses." So I came off the phone. Oh, I said to him, "Where is Washington, Illinois?" And he said, "It's just outside Chicago." <laughs> All right. Well, you know that means to a Brit, it means twenty minutes up the road, you know, and. And, um, and when we got off the plane and it was three hours through the cornfields, uh, we knew we'd traveled. And, and, but this is what happened. As soon as I arrived at Faith Christian Center in Washington, as it was called then, it's now called Faith Church. As I walked through the doors, Holy Spirit says, this is where I want you. And... Um, Uh, Again, a long story short, miracle after miracle happened, and we came to Washington, Illinois, and took on Faith Christian Center, and uh, we were there for seven years, and God blessed the seven years. Uh, Not everything went, you know, it was messy, as it always is. Every church is messy. Every organization is messy. Uh, and, And God never promised anything other than that. And, and the thing was that now, I, I knew I was where God wanted me to be. But the one thing that I saw and knew about Washington, Illinois, they used to say to me when we first arrived, don't, don't cross the river. It's dangerous in Peoria, all right? They, they, said, they said, and don't go at, at night, and if you go at night, never put your windows down. On your vehicle, just keep your car locked and keep going, you know. And I joke, we used to go down to uh, this side of the river and look across and wonder what was over there, you know, <laughs> in Peoria, Illinois, you know. <laughs> but the one thing there were you, there were people in that church at that time that would never cross the river to shop. They would never cross the river because they were scared of coming to Peoria. Uh, it's amazing that. It? But also, the other thing that I noted was that we were a very white church over there. Uh, there was no uh, Hispanics or African Americans that would cross the river. And I learned this too. This is a lesson that you may want to bring as a, a leadership lesson. You know, um, it's very much the other side of the tracks. And, uh, and you will find that wherever there's a river or a railroad, You've got the other side of the tracks. And it's usually uh, that one side is poorer than the other side in many senses. It's an interesting thing that I've found in my life. But um, that played on my mind. I get this call to go and preach to the pastors of the Assemblies of God in the UK. And I I go over there, and God gives me this message (coughs) that um, was about... um, calling people into the field of evangelism. And I I remember getting to a point, the anointing of God came on me during that message, and I began to say to pastors, there was about 600 pastors, and I said, you know, often we send young men out to plant churches When I feel the young man should stay under the covering of the local elders and the senior guy ought to go across and go and pioneer. I never planned to say that, but as I was saying it, God spoke to me and said, I'm talking to you, king. And I realized at that moment that God had given me another Antioch moment where I knew I had to resign uh, faith, Christi- We were about to build a 3,000-seater church over there, believe it or not, and had all the plans drawn up, and I went back home from that, and I said, look, I believe God has spoke to me, and I need to cross the river and, um, and start a church in the city of Peoria, and uh, long story short, of course, that's what happened. Let me get back to the scriptures. I need to do that. My computer's playing up a little bit. This is what I felt God wanted me to say to you tonight. If you will pray, God will say. All right? If you will pray, God will say. Actually, if you will worship and pray. I loved worship tonight. That was refreshing to my soul. Uh, but if you will worship and pray, God will say, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. See, these men in Acts 13, they knew that God was up to something, but they needed clarity. They needed to know exactly what God was up to. And and the fact was that they realized something we all need to realize The church is not a business, we're not a company, Uh, it it isn't that we are people that, that run big businesses even if the church grows big. Listen, it's always the church of Jesus. It belongs to him. We are servants in the church. And um, he wants us to follow his plans, not our plans. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't try to be business-like and do things decently in order. But we are not CEOs and we're not financial planners and we're not financial officers. We're not boards of directors. We are being led by men and women, dare I say, by women uh, of God who are led by Holy Spirit. That's the goal. That's what needs to happen. Uh, When I was praying this morning, I said to the Lord, if you don't show up tonight, I'm just telling stories. And if you don't show up up tonight, uh, it's just words from another guy. But if you show up, you will speak into people's lives. Uh, And uh, as I prayed, I felt God saying there'd be people here tonight that... That you need a just a a kick to say, you've got to change direction. There's a different way that I want you to go. It needs that tonight become an Antioch moment for you that you realize that God is speaking to you tonight. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. Uh, And, as I said, they knew that God was up to something, but they didn't know the details. They began this time of intense worship and prayer and fasting... So they weren't at a ball game when this was all going on. They weren't out of c- having coffee. They weren't working the stock market or doing this, that, and the other. No, they were focused. They wanted to know the will of God for their lives. They wanted to know what God was saying. They knew he was up to something, but they needed to know, how does that include me? Where do I fit? Where do I go? What do you want me to do? They were hungry for God and his will. They were desperate to know Know God's plan I have yet to find anyone who finds the center of the will of God until they're focused on saying I'm not going to let you go until you tell me what you want me to do and where you want me to lead you now there's an interesting thing that I need to put in here I told you that Paul and uh, Saul and Barnabas they were part of the Antioch church they were members of the Antioch church they that was their home base and, and this is what I, f- I saw about them was, they were neck deep in the church. They, they weren't people who were going, well, I, I haven't found my place. I don't know where I fit. You know what I mean? No, they said, we're going to get involved. We're going to get neck deep in the work of God and, and we'll trust God with the rest. And while they were neck deep in the work of God, doing whatever they needed to do, when they needed to do it, picked up the dirty stuff, did anything that was needed to do, and then the Holy Spirit said, send them out. And, and of course, God was up to something. They showed the desperation that they were in. They not only prayed, they fasted and prayed, and they said, God... (laughs) Fasting, you've got my attention. Fasting is not to get God's attention. It's for him to get your attention. And, and the fact is, uh, now God was up to something. While they fasted and prayed, God showed them what was on his mind, and it was not easy. Set a point, Barnabas and Saul, for the special work. It's evident that Saul and Barnabas uh, were crucial parts of the church in Antioch. And um, they were the prime leaders of the people. And they were being told, God is saying, I want to send them out. I want them to go. And uh, for them, it would mean that they were going to put their lives on the line. It meant that they were going where no one else had gone. And they were going to serve Jesus where they would have to trust him for everything. And we need to thank God for that. Because, you know... As a result of them going, it was that Christianity spread like crazy and, and, and it was that us Gentiles were now included in the plan and they went and spread the gospel everywhere. And um, not only that, it affected us right up until today when Christianity is the biggest religion in the world. 2.3 billion people who one way or another claim Jesus to be their leader and their his followers. Uh, You say, how do you know that? Well, I Googled it. All right. So uh, that's how I know it. You Google those things. But anyway, uh, it was massive what God was doing For them, it was scary. It was scary for the church because they were losing two of their best leaders. But quickly, look what happened. Um, In Acts chapter 14, the next chapter in verse 27, it says, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, Luke wrote. When they had arrived, they gathered the church together, and they began to report all the things that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Oh, I would love to have been at that meeting and heard what God had done. Two things stand out to me. They got home. They were safe back home. Their mission, first mission was accomplished. They do more as well, of course. Not only that, the church was still in existence, even though they'd given up their best leaders. The fact was the church was still in existence and still thriving, and uh, they realize that God's will is bigger than our plans, and He knows how to fulfill His desires for our lives. Um, I, I believe for you who are here, and I, I didn't know how many would be here. Actually, I was with Ben. Uh, we were thinking a certain number would be here, and we've got more. That's amazing. Uh, and. And the fact is this, that I believe you're not here by accident. I believe in these nights, God is going to stir something in you that will cause you to see you were meant for more than this. Uh, When I was a 15-year-old boy, I, I went to work. I wasn't an educated type of guy. I didn't like school. Uh, I've never been to Bible college, as you probably have found out tonight. I have been to university. Uh, I, was, I, I just made it through high school, actually. Um, and so I was working in a furniture factory, and my job was to get the lumber for the furniture from the wood pile. I'd wheel it down on this big trailer and bring it into the sawyer who would saw up the, the wood for making sofas and chairs and all the rest of it I was out in all kinds of weather I remember pushing that lumber down to the sawyer and God speaking to me and saying you're meant for more than this and I knew in my heart that God had a plan for my life and dare I say to you tonight I don't know what you're involved in now what you've been touching now what you've been seeing now but you're meant for more than this and God has a plan for your life Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of leadership stuff that we could tell and talk about. And, and you will hear, I'm sure. You'll have a better night tomorrow night with Ben. But uh, on, on Friday, we'll sit down and talk and answer questions as well. But uh, I, I want you to see that this little meeting tomorrow night, the night after, is the plan of God to get your attention and to say there's more... There's more. I've got more for you. I want to put my hand on your life. I want to direct you. I want to guide you by my spirit. And and we need to line up and say, God, if this is an Antioch moment, I'm ready, speak. Yeah. Yeah. While they fasted and prayed, God said. And God is saying the same for you as you begin to center in these next nights and say god i believe these are nights ordained by you and i'm going to seek your face and believe your will and god whatever you want to say to me say it and and this is a big lesson that i've learned in my life it is better to obey god than not to obey god amen <laughs> i i i, I you know, I, I wish that I had listened to God when he said, you're on your own on this, King, when I got the vote, you know. But when I look back, I learned a lesson. And that's what Antioch moments do. They learn you lessons. They teach you lessons uh, that you take on in your life. As a result, even though offered to run for different positions in the Assemblies of God over here, I've turned everyone down. And it gets scary, you know, over here. At least they'd get in touch with you before the meetings where they were having the elections in the UK and talk and see if you were interested or not. Over here, you'll be sitting in a meeting like this. And they said, we're going to have a vote. Now we're going to have the nominating vote. And suddenly your name's on a screen. They've put your name in without even talking to you. Uh, it's crazy how many times I've got up and gone to the mic and say, with all due respect, and I thank you for your love for me and your, your appreciation, but I can't take this. You see, all I've been called to do is what God called me to do. Look after the church that I put you in. Uh, don't get involved in numbers of other things. You won't be able to take it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I've proven his will in all that.
0: For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.